0: to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who homesteads with a passion and purpose. We're talking with Julia Hubler about gardening with a plan. Julia lives in Arizona on two and a half acres with hot summers, lots of cacti, and amazing sunsets. She is a homeschool graduate living with her family, and every day you'll find her raising guineas, making dinner, milking goats, and writing all about it. You can find her at reformstead.com. Welcome to the show today, Julia.
1: Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So I just shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm a Christian homeschool graduate. I live m- with my parents, and I've younger siblings in Buckeye, Arizona. And my mom and dad got me interested in homesteading when I was about 15 years old. I would help my mom on and off before that with the gardening. But about 15, I really got interested in reading homestead books and learning as much as I could about homesteading and raising chickens and everything. And I've always helped my dad with lots of big projects like building fences, butchering, and more things like that and then about 15 or 17 between that those years I really took on a lot of the taking care of chickens and gardening and stuff like that and then a few years later we moved and expanded more and I was able to do a whole lot more and we had chickens we've got milk goats
0: so what is homesteading to you
1: Homesteading? Well, it's raising animals and gardening. Not always perfectly, actually. Most of the time, not perfectly. The garden doesn't always look like picture-perfect like you'd imagine it, and things don't always go the way you want them to, but it's trying to raise your own food and the land you have.
0: Cool. And what got you really excited and motivated about doing this?
1: Well, my parents were kind of starting, and I don't know. I just really liked reading about it and learning about it. It wasn't any one big thing. It was kind of just, yeah, I just got interested in it
0: from reading. Yeah, so it sounds like to me it was there for you to do.
1: Yes, right.
0: That's one of the really cool things in my life. I'm 58 years old, and when I was 14, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. This was back in the mid-'70s. I, I to this day, don't know where that came from, but it. this whole notion of growing your own food and and sustainability, it, even b- back then for me, it was just there for me to do. And mm-hmm. and I don't even know why. And it sounds to me like that might be the case for you too.
1: Yeah, I guess similar, yeah.
0: So can you paint a picture of what your homestead looks like? How many acres? If we were going to walk up the driveway and look at the space, what would we see?
1: Well, right now you'd see um, there's our house and it's about two and a half acres. And we have most of that fenced in. We have a big garden on one side. It's about a quarter acre. We wow. don't, we're not gardening. We're not gardening all of it, though, right now. The to tenacity too much, so we shrunk it down to how much we're actually gardening. Uh-huh. And then um, we have chickens kind of running all over the place. <laughs> and then right now we actually have about 30, 35 meat chickens, 35 to wow. 40 meat chickens in tractors and uh, the grass out there. And then we have goats lots of goats. A few that we're milking and then some that we're going to butcher for meat. And then we have a milk cow. She still needs to be bred, but then we'll be milking her. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have trees planted around, too, around the yard.
0: I have a note here that you actually have attended some of my tree classes in the past and have some of our trees in your yard?
1: Yes, we do. Yep.
0: Nice. You remember what kind they were?
1: Well, the ones that are doing best right now are definitely the citrus and the pomegranates and figs. They're growing really well
0: nice you mentioned the word chicken tractors can you tell everybody what that is
1: <laughs> sure uh, I think they're about eight feet by eight feet ours are anyway and they um they're they're a low structure thats that goes on the ground it has wheels so it's movable it's a place for the chickens to be that um, lets them have access to pasture instead of having to confine raise them
0: so they're they're basic, it's a, a movable chicken coop that you just yes. Move in the pasture, and then they get to eat bugs and weeds, and yep, nice, nice. And it sounds like with forty or so meat birds, you probably raise enough chickens for your family.
1: We do. We try. We try to raise about. We we start with fifty. We sometimes you know things happen and yeah. they don't make it. So um we start with fifty, and our goal is to do that twice a year, and that will more than cover what we need. What
0: our family is, eat Nice. I'm not a vegetarian, although I lean heavily toward being a vegetarian. About ten years ago, here at the urban farm, I decided I was going to raise some meat birds, because uh, I'd had, you know, we've had chickens laying chickens here for a couple of decades now. Uh, so I went through the entire process of raising the chicks from chick to plate, uh, and it happens fast, doesn't it? Yes. Did
1: you have the Cornish cross?
0: Yeah, we did have the corners cross exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah they grow fast.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, like fast, like eight weeks fast, right?
1: Yeah, ours are nine weeks right now, and that's pretty big. Uh, we're on the alert to be ready to butcher pretty with a pretty short notice here.
0: Right. And how do you feel about that raising raising an animal to then butcher it and eat it? Talk to me about that a little bit, would you?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, in the Bible, it is definitely allowed that we can eat meat so we are fine with it um we enjoy we enjoy the meat it tastes good so we um we don't have a problem with eating it and butchering i don't know i've never really had a problem with it so it's just i mean people everyone has a problem with it but then they go to the restaurant and they eat a burger
0: (laughs) exactly
1: where'd that where'd that burger come from
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a big piece of what i like to do with the people with my guests on the podcast is make those connections Right. Yeah. And that's the reason that I went and actually raised some meat birds here on the property. So it sounds to me like you have a really nice homestead there and you know, you're know you raising meat, you're raising vegetables, you've got fruit trees. How much of the food do you raise for your family? You must be eating out of your yard every day.
1: We do um, fairly well, but We we have seasons where we definitely have more coming from the yard and seasons where there's a lot less that we're actually being able to eat every day. So the chicken is one source, but we've had some learning processes where we've kind of not been able to do that one year, and then, you know, we're eating store-bought chicken, you know, for that season until we can get more going again. We've done a lot of lettuce gardening, uh, that's grown really, that grows really well here, and we really like a lot of salads.
0: What kind was that, Julia? Lettuce. Lettuce. Oh, yes. Lots of greens grow here really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we we love the lettuce, too. So it tastes... We get spoiled on the lettuce. It's like, <laughs> who wants to eat the store-bought lettuce when you can have it taste so much fresher from the yard, so... exactly. Yeah, and then we've um, gone through seasons of lots of eggs, more eggs than we could possibly eat, but then they have their slow times, and right now we're in need of replacing our flocks of egg layers. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of not getting eggs right now, but we also have lemons coming from our trees. We had a lot of figs last year. Yeah.
0: Do you sell any of your excess at market or do you share with neighbors? What do you do with it when you have too many eggs?
1: Well, when we have too many eggs, sometimes we'll give them to people at church. We haven't gotten into the selling yet. It's kind of like maybe a next step sometime in the future, but we want to get a little more consistent for ourselves first.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show was you're young and I wanted you to share your experiences around your homestead, but you've written a book called The Ultimate Vegetable Garden Planner. And you sent me a copy of it and uh, it's a PDF. So it's a virtual book. I was really blown away. It's This is a cool book that you've written. Tell me about it
1: vegetable garden planners. oh, I don't know, a year or or so ago, Mm -hmm. and I noticed that there was a need for, like, a really good thorough planner. There were some planners out there, but they were like, you know, a couple pages. There wasn't anything that looked like it covered everything. So I started working on creating one that would cover most anything that you could think of needing to record or plan for your vegetable garden. So I, um, I looked at other planners out there and got tips from that, and then I also just tried to include as much stuff that I could think that anyone needing planning or recording a vegetable garden. Would need to
0: know. So it's it's really a garden journal, right?
1: It is. It does have planner pages in it though. So it's both. But with the gardening, a lot of times keeping records and knowing what you did is really important. And I know there were some definitely things that I wish I had recorded and I haven't from (laughs) earlier years.
0: Right. That's a really big piece of data to keep a, keep a hold of. It's an important one, you know, because if you plant fruit trees in your yard, you want to know what the variety is. That's something you could keep track in your journal, right?
1: Yeah, there isn't a section specifically for the orchard, but it's definitely something you could you could tweak it if you it like that,
0: yeah. Yeah, cool. And you self-published it. How did you make that happen?
1: Well, I've self-published before. So um, I format it myself, and then I just get a... Website that I can sell it on, a platform,
0: and I list it for sale. And people have bought it. Cool. You must be pretty smart for that, huh?
1: Oh, my mom helped helped me learn a lot of the website stuff that I
0: know. Nice. And so, where can we find the book at?
1: It's at my website, reformstead.com. There's a little shop button in the corner, and that'll take you to where it's for
0: sale. Perfect. That is reformstead.com. Cool. So, I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it.
1: I think one of the things that we definitely had a problem with early on was trying to do things on our farm, like our little homestead two and a half acres, trying to model our homestead after the big monoculture farms out there. Mm-hmm. One of the things we did, for example, was our orchard. And when we first um, planned that out, we planned it out in a yard that was off the side and looked like a great place for it. But we, and we also planted them in straight rows and everything like that. And then I learned later that those weren't necessarily the best, the best way to do it. Number one, the placement looks really good, but the trees, there's not as much water there as there is in other parts of our yard. Uh. We have a wash running through the middle of our yard. And if I, the trees I planted on that wash are definitely doing a lot better than the ones over in other areas of the yard where it's just a little bit drier and kind of more on a hill instead of in a wash. <laughs> so that placement is definitely not the best for that. And then also, when I first planted the trees, I thought, you know, palaverdes, mesquites, these native trees that we have in Arizona aren't don't have a place in the orchard. But then I learned that the palaverdes and mesquites are actually lagoons which are nitrogen-fixing trees. Yep. And so they actually add nitrogen into the soil from the air. They convert it to the to the soil, and they make it available for the fruit trees. So now I'm working all these native trees back into the orchard and trying to intersperse them so that their fruit trees have a, a natural source of nitrogen, yeah. along with, what else, with the manure and stuff we give them.
0: The other thing that they can do is... Provide shade for your trees. They act as nurse yeah, trees yeah. for them.
1: Yes, and here in Arizona, it gets hot, and they need some of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, are you planting any mesquite trees that are of the edible variety?
1: We have some that will grow pods. Yeah, I kind of just start them from seed, almost. Like I'll find them, I'll find them sprouting in our yard, and I'll transplant them when they're really tiny, and and then they grow up from that. So I don't really know what they are until they get to maturity. But right, we have one tree that grows the beans.
0: Honest. How do the beans taste? I tasted them a
1: while ago. I think they're good.
0: Yeah, so forget, they'll they'll start ripening in uh, May, late May or early June. If you go out and grab one when it's dry and hanging on the tree, and snap it in half, and just kind of nibble on the end, that'll let you know if it's a, a nice edible bean. And if they are, we just for here in the Phoenix metropolitan area, we just bought a mesquite bean mill. It's a hammer mill to mill them into flour. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, so be cognizant of that when the when the mesquite beans come. Be cognizant that you want to be trying them, and if they taste good, you want to harvest a bunch off of the tree and come down and bring them and have them be milled.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, the goats like them too.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Cause it's like a treat to them. Yep, they're high in fiber and high in protein. It, it, they, it They really are a treat for them. So when it sounds to me like your biggest success was kind of wrapped up in the failure there. Yes,
1: I... I definitely, we haven't seen the full benefits of it yet, but we're working on doing the right thing and hoping that the truth will do better with that.
0: Yeah, perfect. And what drives you?
1: Um, Ultimately, Jesus Christ drives me in everything I do, including homestead.
0: So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: There are a lot of good books out there, but I really like You Can Farm by Joel Salatin. His book brings more of a permaculture mindset to homestead instead of the monoculture homesteading that some
0: people try yeah when joel's great i've had him on the show actually he was on episode 310 it was about a year and a half ago so if you get an opportunity go look up joel salatin on our podcast you also mentioned the word the p word as i like to call it permaculture tell me a little bit about how that fits into what you're doing
1: well, to me, permaculture, it's really like taking the dominion mandate to its ultimate. A lot of people in perm- permaculture, they think about what's best for the plant, and they really like focus in on how to do the best for the plant and the environment. As a Christian, I want to get things to work together as best I can, because God is orderly, and He that's how he wants things.
0: Cool. If you had one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be?
1: Well, probably to be willing to try new things and just feel when you try them definitely something that we've done a lot of over the
0: years experiment
1: yes experiment and failing sometimes the first couple times even
0: so yeah perfect well thank you so much for joining us on the show today julia
1: you're welcome thanks for having me
0: you bet and how can our listeners get a hold of you
1: uh they can get a hold of me at my blog reformstead.com and i'm also on some other social media platforms but the best way is reformstead.com
0: perfect We also want to thank you today, Julia, as you've offered us five digital versions of your book, The Ultimate Vegetable Garden Planner. And we're going to share them with some lucky members of our listening audience. Email podcast at urbanfarm.org with the subject line, I have a passion for gardening. Make sure you provide us your name, email, and mailing address, and we will pick five random emails from the first 50 people who respond. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash reformstead. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org for articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast.